Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we have your word, and we pray that today, even in our tiredness perhaps, even though we might have had long weeks, we can come and sit under your word and hear you speak to us. So we do pray, Lord, that you'll give us ears to hear that and hearts to respond to it and the concentration we need um, yeah, to follow along tonight. We do pray for that in your son's name. Amen. In August last year, there was a, a, a show, a short video that came out on YouTube called the Asian Bachelorette. This was done, done by Wong Fu Productions. It was a satirical short video on the reality TV show, The Bachelorette, The Real Bachelorette. And they were poking fun at the fact that the show rarely features Asian men. Let's be honest, if you look at past bachelorettes, most of the men that go on the show are generally not Asian. Right, And so the show brings in this, you know, whenever you do see an Asian, maybe in America, in, in, those, uh, in the Bachelorette over there, you usually see uh, an Asian that might make it to the first round, but gets limited before the second round. Right? They're often portrayed as a bit odd, they're not very attractive, they usually get rejected. Now when interviewed about it, Philip Wang, the director of Wong Fu Productions, he said this, he said, the latest season highlights the fact that Asian-American men are almost never seen or considered to be desirable or attractive in Western mainstream media. It's kind of sad and funny that seeing an Asian man can be as romantic as uncomfortable or strange in so many people's eyes. And so with the video, with the YouTube video, we wanted to poke fun at that by going to an extreme. If all the contestants are Asians, well, at least we'll make it past the first round of elimination. Now, there's a lot of stuff written online about how Asian Americans lack representation in Western mainstream media. Although they're, significant, they're a significant part of the American population, they're rarely portrayed as, as a worthy or notable lead character. You might have heard of articles written about that. They usually hide in the background. They're the, they're the school nerd, the IT geek, the quiet oddball, or the, the kung fu master who flies across the screen. Uh, in 2012, there was a movie um, called Pitch Perfect that came out. And if you know the Asian in that movie, her name was Lily. She, uh, she was voiceless throughout the whole movie. And she whispers stuff like, I was born with gills like a fish and I ate my twin in the womb. And so you wonder, you know, it would make Asians feel uncomfortable, wouldn't it, when you see stuff like that on, on media and in, in movies. But let's dig a bit deeper and look, think about the world that we live in. There's something wrong with our world, isn't there? When there are headlines on websites that tell us another innocent young black teenager was shot by the US police, that activists are going to the streets to call out the institutionalized racism among US police forces, that campaigns like hashtag Black Lives Matter have to still be promoted in the year 2018. There's something wrong with our world when, if you know that comedian Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat, as some of you know him as, his new show, Who is America, can successfully get a politician, Jason Spencer, to resign the next day after getting him on camera, yelling the N-word, brandishing stereotypes of Chinese tourists, and pulling down his pants in a method to scare away terrorists. You can watch that clip online. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because there's something wrong. Well, there's something wrong with America, first of all. But let's think about Australia. Australia is this multicultural, multi-ethnic nation. We pride ourselves on diversity, don't we? I did some commercial work in my early 20s, if you didn't know that, and my first gig was actually being part of a driving commercial. I was in the back seat. I only got that role because they wanted one young Asian male among the cast of four Anglo-Australians to show that they cared about diversity. I had no acting experience. 
but I was the only Asian who showed up to that audition. Ever since then, I have this acute sense when it comes to seeing the token Asian on TV commercials, and I love it. I love that media wants to show how diverse our country is and how they want to represent colors and ethnicities on television, and I feel a sense of pride for our ethnic friends who get to be on those you know, non-ethnic shows or commercials. We pride ourselves, don't we, as a country, to be multicultural, to be multi-ethnic. But don't we still have a long way to go? There are still news reports of racist rants on trains and buses in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. We buy houses in certain areas to avoid certain groups of people. We still have politicians in our country who believe people from certain parts of the world are dangerous just because of their ethnicity, the colour of their skin. We've seen the hate when, when Anglos and Middle Eastern men clash on the streets of Sydney during the 2005 Cronulla riots. I even have Middle Eastern friends today a couple of years ago, they told me this in Brisbane, who shared with me that they bought beach towels and thongs with the Australian flag on it just so they could feel like they could fit in and show that they love Australia on the beach. That's really sad. We want to be a people, a nation who believe in diversity, but true diversity is still really hard to come by. Instead of diversity, we often see division. Instead of diversity, we see racism. Instead of diversity, we quietly and strongly encourage assimilation to our way of life. Instead of diversity, there's fear. Now, that might show itself in making fun of other cultures and colours, looking down on others, or avoiding certain groups. And while diversity sounds good on paper, true, lasting diversity is really hard, isn't it? Racism has always been around, and will always be around. And so the question for us is, if God created us, what did God intend for us as his humanity in this world? How are we to see one another? And what is the hope that can bring us together to truly be a people diverse but one? As Christians, hearing these stories in our world uh, and the ones that make the headlines should grieve us. And we have a responsibility to tell of a, of a greater story, don't we? A greater story that brings people together rather than tears our world apart. A story that's hopeful and real to a tired and divided world. But where does our story start? It starts here. It starts here in Genesis 11 in the city of Babel. Genesis, as we heard, is a, city, is a, is a story of beginnings. And we're going to see the story of the nations and God's intention for us to be a humanity that flourishes side by side. Just so you can follow, what we're going to do today is we're going to look briefly first at Genesis 10, which we didn't read. And then we're going to address Genesis 11, and then we're going to see what Genesis 11 is pointing us to. All right, so if you have your Bibles in front of you, open up to chapter 10, just the chapter before. And we're going to read this. We're not going to read this in detail, but I'm just going to pick out a few things just to make some notes of what's going on here. We're told that the, the author is telling us that there are generations of people that have descended from what we heard last week, Noah. After the flood, Noah and his sons came out of the ark, and God commanded them to go and be fruitful and multiply. Last week, we, that's what we heard about. God pressed reset on the world, in a sense. And in his grace, he rescued his, Noah's and his family. Genesis tells us all the sons and the sons and the sons and sons of Noah, and from here, the start of the nations. So just follow on. verse 6, we're told in chapter 10, we're told there are nations like Egypt and Canaan that are there. In verse 10, there are kingdoms of Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalneh, in the land of Shinar, which is what we're reading here in chapter 11. Uh, he then lists out more nations and then summarizes in verse 20, 
Read this with me. I've got this on the screen as well. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. See, the list of nations then goes on again with Shem, right? The father of the next list, verse 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Isn't that interesting? These are all the clans and the nations, according to their genealogies, spread out across the world. Now, that's happening in Genesis 10, right? But what does chapter 11 start with? It zooms in. Before these nations were dispersed, it zooms in on one people. Chapter 11, let's read it, verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Didn't we just read that there were multiple languages already? There's one language and a common speech. Verse 2, as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. See, the Bible tells us that there was once in history one language and a common speech. Imagine that. There's one language everyone can communicate without an issue, without confusion without having to use gestures all the time, without having to use Google Translate on your phone. Wow, that would make traveling to foreign countries so much easier, but maybe less exciting. But think about that one language. Now, the Bible speaks about having one common ancestor. That's what we believe as Christians. We have one common ancestor in Adam and Eve, so sharing one language makes sense, doesn't it? Now, I did a bit of research in this, because I know this is really hard to get, your, to get our heads around, you know, how did languages begin? Who here is a linguist? Do we have any linguists here, actual linguists? Good, because I'm going to pretend to be a professional. I don't know what I'm talking about here. But linguists, right, they can't agree on whether all languages are descended from a single original language or whether languages emerged independently among several groups of early people. You'd think the latter, wouldn't you, because you look at Chinese or Korean and you're thinking it's so vastly different from English or German. How would they ever come from the same language? But then I read this. I read this from the Linguistic Society of America. I've got it on the screen, which spoke about how languages that we know today haven't changed much. It said this, as far back as we have written records of human language, 5,000 years or so, things look basically the same. Languages change gradually over time, sometimes due to changes in culture and fashion, sometimes in response to contact with other languages. But the basic architecture and expressive power of language stays the same. 5,000 years. The oldest written record of languages appeared 5,000 years ago. The first written records began around this region. If you look up, you can find this on Wikipedia even. The first written records were found in this area in the Middle East, Egypt and Sumeria. And that's what we're reading here in this story. This, the people here have moved east to the land of China. That's in Sumeria. That's where China is. And, and then you look at ahead in time a bit, and you, you find the records of old Chinese, right? That came a thousand years after these records were found. Now, isn't that interesting? According to just the written records, there's a real possibility that the first language was here in the Middle Eastern region, around Egypt and Sumeria. And there is a plausibility, at least, that the development of different languages happened from here. Maybe not as we know them today, Right, but maybe in their proto forms. I don't know if you ever heard of language families. Um, 
Indo-European is a language family. Sino-Tibetan is a language family. There's about 15 of them. English and, and German come under the Indo-European language family. Chinese is classified as a Sino-Tibetan language family. You know, I don't think it's a stretch to think that these language families began here, here in Babel. You know, what if they didn't actually exist 5,000 years ago? What if the record, written records that we have before them is just one common language before 5,000 years ago? See, linguists can't agree on it, but here in the Bible it tells us, doesn't it? There was, at one point in history, one common language and a common speech. I think that's, I don't know, that blew my mind. And so what happens? Together they go, let's build a great city. Let's build a great tower that reaches the heaven. And see them, they're advanced in their human civilization, right? They've moved on from stone and mortar. They're baking bricks. They're using tar. They're building something that's going to last. Nick's laughing in the back because he builds and he's like, bricks are nothing. Now, at this point, you're not thinking skyscrapers like the ones we see today, okay? You're thinking maybe ancient structures. You're thinking pyramids. You're thinking what the Aztecs built, like temples that have stairs on the outside that are reaching the heavens with an altar at the top. That's what you're thinking, those types of structures. They want stairs to reach the heavens so they can be like God. They want to bridge earth and heaven itself. And in doing so, their goal is to build a name for themselves or otherwise be scattered across the earth. You see, that's what their intentions are. They want to have a status that's like God's. And in their pride, they want God and whatever humans might be in surrounding regions to see how great they are. But it's not only status that they're looking for, they're looking for security as well. They want to build something to represent who they are and the security that they have in this great city. They're not looking to God. They're not looking to God to provide the security. They're essentially saying, they don't need God. Let's make bricks. Let's build this city. Let's make a name for ourselves. And I wonder how much of that narrative is still in our world today. We want status. We want security too, don't we? Some of our men here at church were WhatsApping each other this week about the big houses in Hamilton and the house envy we all have of that, uh, you know, with the big house and the tennis courts. We all envy that type of house. We'd all want that, wouldn't we? I, personally, I'd want a basketball court and a gym and a garage that fit four cars and a motorbike. But we all have those hashtag house goals, don't we? But it's generally true that, in a sense, that when we are thinking about that, we're building towers for ourselves, aren't we? We're building our own towers that give us status and security for ourselves, often for our self-centered reasons. And how often are we thinking, how can I buy a house or build a house to serve God with? How can I be in a location that can serve my community and do local mission in? How can I have a home where I can practice hospitality to others? Instead, we're raised in this generation that tells us, you've bought a house? Wow, you've made it. Now, there's nothing wrong with buying a house, but the culture today that tells you that you have status, you have security now. That might be partly true, but is it ultimately going to satisfy you? Is it ultimately going to satisfy you? It, it might not even be lasting, actually. We're going to feel the enslavement instead to our mortgages. We're going to feel when our economy takes a hit and the house prices dip. We're going to, we're going to have house envy of the bigger house down the road all the time. Deep down, we all know that building our own towers isn't going to mean jack all when we find ourselves old and alone in a nursing home with just a suitcase of clothes and a photo of our family on the bedside table. 
See, God's looking at this group of people, this great city and tower, hoping for status and security, and God is he's disappointed. They're missing the point. And there's a little bit of humor here in verse 5. While they're trying to build a tower to reach the heavens, verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. You see, they're trying to reach the heavens, but the infinite, all-present, all-powerful, sovereign God has to come down to the city. Basically saying they're nowhere close to reaching God than when they first began building. God has to come down. Let's read from verse 6. The Lord said, as if as one people, the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the whole face of the earth. You see, we're seeing the pride of their heart, and God has an issue with that. But God sees a bigger issue, doesn't he? What does he do to these people? He confuses their languages. It's a way of showing them that they aren't so great after all. But in verse 8 and verse 9, it tells us something else, doesn't it? He says, it tells us that the Lord scatters them all over the earth. This is where the rubber hits the road. God sees their pride, but it's seen in them selfishly, really, staying in this one place, trying to build a, a mega city for themselves out of their pride, but trying to stay in this one place. That's the real issue here, isn't it? Why is that the real issue? Because remember the beginning of Genesis from chapter 1. What does chapter 1 verse 28 tell us? I've got it on the screen. God blessed them. I'm just going to go to the end part. Wait, the first part. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Chapter 9 again, he says to Noah and his, and his family, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Right? God wanted them to be scattered. He wanted them to fill the earth. Here they're building a great city and tower in one area, and God's actually disappointed in that. Right? They're not just to build a great city that housed all of humanity. God wanted diversity from the start. He wanted the people to get dispersed, so he, he did it by confusing them instead. He did it by creating different languages and scattering them across the earth. And so what we re read in chapter 10 of Genesis, when we read about all the nations from Ham and Shem, we read that the nations were being dispersed to different areas of the earth with different clans and different languages. It was because of this, the Tower of Babel, that we re read about in Genesis 11. It was about God's judgment on them. If they had dispersed from the start, as God intended for humanity back from chapter 1, we perhaps could be possibly still speaking the same lingo, the same language. But because of sin and the pride of humanity, God used languages to confuse instead and, and in doing so scattered them across the earth. You see, this was God's plan all along. Let's move to the New Testament. Let's move to Acts chapter 17. And what do we read here? Thousands of years after this incident at Babel, we, we see Paul saying this. He says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Right? And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God has marked out the nations from the beginning. Can you see how great that is? Humanity has flourished in, in many ways today, right? And we see that in Australia particularly. We can see the beauty of having different languages and cultures around the world that we can learn from, that we can enjoy, that we can embrace and love. Yet, as we noted earlier, we're still so far away, aren't we, from achieving anything like true 
diversity, true unity in diversity. And we still see that, right? In the racism, the wars, the disunity amongst nations, it's still a huge issue. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years later to today, 2018. We might have filled and populated the earth as God intended for us, but there is still so much miscommunication, disunity and division instead of real and true diversity. And so the God who saw the pride in our hearts and our search for status and security planned out for us a better solution. You see, he knows the, the sin in my heart and your heart, and he saves us from it. I talked about sin last week and, and a couple of weeks before that. The idea that our relationship with God has been severed because of that in our hearts, sin, and how our relationships with one another has, has been severed. But you see, when Jesus saves us, he gives us a new identity in him. When we look at the cross of Jesus, when we see his death and his resurrection, we discover a God who unites his people. He unites the people of different races, cultures, ethnicities, languages, and brings them all together as one family. And so you go to another passage in the New Testament, in Ephesians 2. This talks about Jewish people and non-Jewish people becoming a new people under God. It says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you see that? Do you see the beauty of what the blood of Christ has done for us? Remember throughout these earlier chapters of Genesis, we've been hearing about how, how sin has just severed everything, that we don't have relationships like we ought to have because sin exists in our hearts as humanity now, which is sad. Yet Jesus, through his perfect and sinless life, he reconciles our relationship with God and with one another. Remember that. We, he reconciles our relationship in a vertical sense with God and in a horizontal sense with one another. He sacrifices his life for humanity so that we don't need to search for status or security anymore. In Jesus, we have all that in God. That's our new identity. We have the status of being a child of God. We have the security of having a God who saves us into eternity. Far better than any false or temporary security this lifetime can ever offer us. And through that, Jesus brings all of us. Whether we are Jewish, Australian, Korean, Chinese, Indian, African, Hispanic, whatever ethnicity we are, he brings us into a new identity as a new people, a new nation, a family of God. We are now a new a spiritual humanity. A people of God united around Jesus who through his life and death and resurrection unites us together. Wow. Think about this. Jesus points us back to Genesis, doesn't he? In Genesis 1, God made human beings in his image. Do you remember that? Remember that Latin phrase I taught you, the imago Dei? God, we're made in God's image. When Jesus unites all of humanity to God, he shows us that you and I, we're designed in God's image. We're created with an innate dignity, right? So there is no room for racism or, or classism or sexism. No room for abusing others, treating others like objects or looking down on others. Human beings are worthy of respect and dignity because God has created us in that way. And so through Jesus, through the love he's shown us, we can then love one another in the one spirit as 
of God as a new humanity, even with our different languages and cultures. In cultures, we can find peace. We can find unity in our diversity because of Jesus and his sacrificial love for you and me that crosses all cultures and language barriers. Isn't that amazing? The sin of pride and self-centeredness in, in building a tower, it separated us from one another, but now God instead, instead brings us back together in one spirit. And so when you read chapter 2 of Acts, this is amazing what happens here. So this is after Jesus died, was resurrected, and ascends to heaven. There's a, um, a crowd of people. The, the early church were gathered with the apostle Peter. This is what we read in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were staying in Jerusalem there, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What's happening here? There's diversity they're still known by their nations and their ethnicities, so that that diversity is retained. But instead of making a name for themselves, their tongues have been loosened. They're proclaiming the glories of Jesus Christ to every nation. You see that? Together we can worship one King, one Lord, one Savior. We can proclaim Him in different languages. Wow, isn't that beautiful? And so God's original plan from the beginning was to disperse and scatter people right across the earth. And this great story continues on thousands of years later to the time of Jesus because those of us who are now in Jesus, Christians, Jesus says in Matthew 28, and I've got this as well, it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, what? Go and make disciples of all nations. See, Jesus' response to a world of different nations and languages is to go out, be scattered. Even though you might not have the same language or ethnicity, you and I, we have the same Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel that unites in diversity. God scattered the nations in confusion because of their sin, but God, through Jesus, now scatters his disciples to save the nations from their sin. Do you see how that's happening here? Isn't that funny? Christ unites us and brings us together so that we can be dispersed and scattered into our world. Not so that we can make a name for ourselves in our pride, but so we can make a name for God, who is the one worthy of our praise and delight. He's the name that we put in bright lights across our city, not our own. This is the mission, right, for you and for me, for those of us here who call ourselves Christians. This is why Providence Church exists as a church family, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus to the world and bring reconciliation to a tired and exhausted and divided world. Will we? Will we be united in diversity and bring that love to others in our world? Do you know that you and I are so undeserving of that relationship with God that that message of reconciliation, love and forgiveness in Jesus has, has come to you, so now we're called to bring it out to others? Has that impacted you? Do you know that? When you get to, towards the end of your Bibles, you'll find yourself in the book of Revelation, the final book, and we're given this glimpse of what heaven will look like. 
It's going to be a place where we get to gather in the presence of God. It'll be the, the heavenly gathering, right? The God who creates and loves and is the source of all goodness and joy. We get to be in His presence forever, right? And so Revelation 7 here, verse 9 to 10. Jesus, who's referred as the Lamb of God here, we read this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The nations will be there, united around the throne of God. We're going to be unified in our diversity, celebrating Jesus. We're going to be unified in, in, in our ethnicities, in our diverse ethnicities there around Jesus. And it's funny because I always thought when I get to heaven, I, I could transform the way I look. <laughs> I always thought that I could be a tall African-American who can shoot hoops and rap, or be a, a Dutch, blonde, blue-eyed, muscular man. I thought that heaven would be that place where I could look like the ideal, perfect guy. But I've been created in God's image, and that's okay. And in heaven, we will be keeping our cultures and our languages. We're going to retain that, and we'll be glorious. We'll be united in the retained diversity of culture, different ethnicities, rather than, than a sea of heavenly beige, right? It'll be colorful. There'll be different languages, but there'll be a real and true diversity where there is no room for racism because we'll be one in Christ. You see, this is where our story, our narrative, God's story for humanity, that's where it's being directed. Diversity is all part of God's good plan for humanity from the start and a gift for us to enjoy and embrace. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for a day when I don't have to worry in the future about my children growing up and having, to tell, and having other kids tell them that they smell like noodles or tease them about their eyes being slanted. That's happened to me growing up in this world. I can't wait for a day when the news isn't about war between nations or another black person shot dead in the streets by a, a white policeman in America. I can't wait for a day when there'll be true, lasting peace. A day when every tribe, every colour, every nation, men, men and women, every person will be gathered around the table worshipping Jesus. Friends, today we can, we can actually have a taste of that. We can have a taste of that in our church family. We can be united on that front. We can be God's people, the church, that, that goes out and brings the good news of Jesus to the nations. The nations that are right here on our doorstep in Brisbane. The African, the Middle East, and the Latino, the Chinese, the Korean, the Indian, the Vietnamese, whatever nationality, this message of God's love and forgiveness and reconciliation is for you and for me and for them and for all nations. It was so beautiful this week. Megan, one of our members, she reminded me that why she loves this church so much because it's a multicultural church in light of the Tower of Babel. She can't wait to be in the new creation with God from every people and every nation. But for now, she gets to enjoy multicultural church and the beauty of gathering around Jesus each week here on Sundays at our gathering here and in our homes throughout the week when we meet. Does that excite you? Does that... Isn't that beautiful? That we can look around in this room and this is, what, this is a glimpse of what heaven might be like, will be like. If you're here today and this idea is, is so foreign to you, if you're new to Christianity, you're here and you're seeking answers, I want you to know something. Jesus' life and death and love 
is for you too. No matter what your ethnicity, your history, or the color of your skin, you fit in with Jesus. You can find true acceptance and belonging in him because he has broken down every barrier between you and God. He breaks down every barrier between you and others. Jesus gives us a new identity so that you and I can see one another as God sees us. Humanity created with dignity and respect as one people who can embrace our differences regardless of race or class. We can find a greater and deeper peace and unity in our diversity that only God can bring. You guys might have heard of that not-for-profit organization. It's called One. They started off in 2004. And if you know um, Bono from U2, he was one of the co-founders of this organization. Today, they've grown to about 9 million members worldwide. And I love it. And I'm encouraged by what they do. They campaign, they advocate to take action to end extreme poverty and preventable diseases, uh, particularly in Africa. Now, they come from every walk of life, from across the political spectrum. Right? On their website, it tells you this. They're artists, they're activists, they, they're faith and business leaders, they're students and scientists. They take action day in, day out, organizing, mobilizing, educating, advocating so that people will have the chance not just to survive, but to thrive. That's the idea behind the name One. Different people, but one voice. Sounds a bit like the humanity God intended to create, doesn't it? A people diverse across different nations made one in Jesus for the purpose of seeing people thrive and flourish in a hope-filled, joy-overflowing and love-soaked relationship with our God through Jesus. See, we believe the story of Jesus is a story our world needs to hear to truly flourish in this life and the next. The gospel of Jesus is a story that gives real hope and healing to a world that is broken and hurting from separation, hate and division. We need to tell people about the great need of the human heart that, that can find true acceptance and a new identity as one in Christ, regardless of who we are or what our background is. See, that's the greatest story our world needs to hear. Hashtag all lives matter, right? Because it matters not only in this life, but for the lives of people for eternity.